from KDMK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 44 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't see things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only literally to go around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind, to sighted parents who have a blind child, blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, visiting the Vietnam Memorial Wall. How to become a delegate to the Democratic or Republican National Convention. And Braille Bear, former Marine Joe Burns, was leading troops down a dirt road in Vietnam when a landmine exploded almost in front of him, causing him to become blind. Joe survived the war, but many of his buddies didn't. Part of the way he remembers them is by frequently visiting the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. Part of it is the experience, which I don't really relish, going there and going through the sadness that's involved. But by the same token, I'm, I'm drawn to it like a moth to a fire almost. So I, I don't know. I don't remember visiting Washington when I didn't go to the wall. But I was just happened to be in the Washington, D.C. area on, on business, and I got out early when decided that I was going to go to the wall. And it was just so emotional, staggering to, to try to even explain I, I, because, because I, I can't find the words for it, but it was a mixture of emotions and can't come up with enough adjectives for you. The memorial is made up of two highly polished granite walls connecting at the highest point. Each wall is 246 feet, 9 inches long, 75.21 meters long, and has 72 black granite panels. The names of all the people from the U.S. military who either died in Vietnam or are missing in action are engraved in the wall. They are arranged by the date of their deaths. That way, when you find the names of someone who's important to you, you may also find the names of the people that died with them. The panels start low and increase in height as more people died. Next to the wall is a path that begins at ground level and descends along the panels deeper as we got deeper into the war and is the lowest at the highest panel. 
Vietnam Memorial is the most visited memorial in the United States, with five and a half million visitors last year. Many people hold a piece of paper over the names of their loved ones and press against the names with a soft pencil, tracing the name onto the paper. Joe Burns says visiting the wall is a very tactile experience. Other names are embossed uh, on, the, on the granite. The granite face of the memorial is they are etched in the granite, so they're in block letters. But once you find you know, where the name is you're looking for, if you're looking for a name, I've been there and didn't look at any names, and I've been there and looked at them all, all the people that I knew. So it's, it's, that, that part varies, but it's just, uh, touching, touching the names and sensing the coldness of the, of the granite and seeing the mementos that are people have left along the bottom of the wall, everything from flowers to cards to all sorts of things. It's just, uh, ends up with a mixed bag of emotions. Gary Scholerman became blind after leaving Vietnam in the army. He's a frequent visitor to the wall. The virus 40 years ago, uh, some sort of mysterious virus that just first wiped out one eye, lost vision of one eye, central vision in the left eye, and uh, they said a 90% chance to get it back. And then six months later, the other eye went and never got the vision back in either one. I just had some peripheral vision. It's called labor's optic neuritis. All of the names on the wall are listed in alphabetical order in directories with directions on how to find them on the walls. Well, I think everybody should go. It doesn't make anything any better, but it gets to release a little emotion. And every, I will say one thing when you're going up to try and feel that, that name, be careful where you step because there's a lot of flowers and artifacts that are all along the people leave. I was kind of embarrassed the first time I stepped up and I heard this crunch and it was some artifact that somebody left with a toy or whatever and then there was some bunch of flowers near it and my big feet got in the way. But I was able to do what I wanted, not what I needed to do. Gary says what impresses him the most is the number of people who died. I could see the wall, couldn't couldn't make out the names. My wife guided my hand to the names, and it was, I say it was difficult, but it was also cleansing. You know, I just, you know, that it, it was all, you know, we were back and it was over, and it was, you know, I guess it also gets you the, the number of names that are up there. The 859,000, just a lot of lost lives. If you aren't able to visit the Vietnam Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C., you still can have a memorial wall experience. There are three traveling replicas of the Memorial Wall stopping in cities across the United States. And there are a number of permanent copies of the wall throughout the country, ranging from the dimensions of the Washington Wall to 50% of its size. All are tactile experiences for blind people and people with low vision. Joe Burns cautions visitors to the wall not to go alone on your first visit. Go with a close friend who will support you on what could be a very emotional experience. Wikipedia has a very good article on the wall and the location of the additional walls. Kathleen Carruthers and Stuart Nelson help with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler.
empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Next year's presidential election may seem like a long ways off, but if you'd like to become a delegate to the National Political Convention that nominates the candidate from your political party, you should begin planning on how you're going to become a delegate now. There are two systems to select delegates, the one used by caucus states and the one used by states with primary elections. Caucuses are where the delegate process begins in caucus states. They are meetings where people who are registered as members of a party, like Republicans and Democrats, get together by voting precincts to select delegates to their county political convention. They're so small, they may be held in backyards or living rooms, or they may be held in some place like a library, school, or church, where a number of caucuses are held together. In presidential election years, caucuses get a pretty good-sized turnout. In non-presidential years, I've been the only person at my caucus. At the caucus, you may be required to be a delegate for a specific candidate. Next, we're going to rerun a story I did on Tactile Traveler Program Number 3 on how to become a delegate in a caucus state. In 2008, I was an alternate delegate to the Democratic National Convention in Denver, where Barack Obama was nominated to be the Democratic candidate for president. When the delegates were on the floor, we alternates were in the balcony, celebrating our alternate lifestyle. What I learned from that, even if you're only moderately involved in your party's politics, you can become a delegate or alternate to your party's national convention. And almost anyone can become a delegate to their state convention. And the place to start is at your local precinct caucus. And part of what they'll do at the caucus is elect people to your county convention. When they announce elections to the county convention, I always have a friend immediately nominate me. At your county convention, they'll select delegates to the state convention. In all the years I've been going to county conventions, I don't think they've ever had enough people volunteer to be delegates or alternates to the state convention to fill all their slots. It's that easy to go to your Republican or Democratic state convention. You can also go as an observer if for some reason you can't go as a delegate. While you're signing up to be a state delegate, they will also ask for volunteers to be delegates to select candidates for offices like state senators and representatives, district attorneys, and delegates to your congressional district elections. When they say congressional districts, raise your hand and start yelling, me, me, because that's the easiest place to be elected as a delegate to the national convention. The meetings where you choose candidates for state representatives, senators, and district attorneys, and the candidates for Congress are called assemblies. 
Congressional District 3 was held in the same conference center as the state convention. My friend Joe Beaver, who started Democrats with Disabilities, isn't blind, but he is in a wheelchair as a result of having polio 70 years ago. A week before I was running, he called and told me that he was elected to the national convention from his congressional district. I use a wheelchair, and I was going up and down the uh, aisles and just talking to the people on the end of the aisle and handing out a flyer and telling them that I am running as a representative of the disability community, one of the largest unrepresented minorities in the nation. I would hand them that literature, give them a big smile, and tell them to leave it to me for to help them remember who I am. It was successful enough that I was elected as a delegate to the... Uh, National Convention in 2008. So I realized that I had to do something to make me stand out from the 18 other people also trying to become delegates. So I printed a bunch of mailing labels with stick with Nick and in smaller letters Eisenberg. And when I was waiting to go into the CD3 assembly, I walked up and down the line of people waiting to get in and said, I'm Nick Eisenberg. I'd like to be a delegate to the National Convention to represent all Democrats, but especially Democrats with disabilities. I was surprised that most people said something like, I have a cousin or brother or a friend who has a disability. And I think that's really neat. Then with their permission, I would stick a stick with Nick sticker on their shirt or coat. And then I'd say, wow, you look so debonair in that sticker. It worked. Well, it worked once. I wasn't elected to be a delegate in 2012 or 2016, and now I'm out of stickers. The other way to become a delegate is to be elected at large. That's much harder unless you're well-known statewide in your political party. That's because the entire convention votes for people who are running at large. And many of the same well-known people are elected over and over. If you've never been to a precinct caucus, it's a good idea that you talk to your county chairperson first. If your county doesn't have a phone number, go online to find the chairperson's number. You may also have to fill out a form online indicating that you'd like to be a delegate to the national convention. At the convention, I did attend all meetings for people with disabilities. Since I attended the convention from a caucus state, I spoke to Seth Mays, executive director of the Arkansas Republican Party, to see how delegates are selected in his state, which is a primary state. If somebody wanted to be a delegate to the Republican National Convention from Arkansas, they would file during what we call the filing process. That would take place next year before the primary. They pay a filing fee and fill out their form. Uh, let's say hypothetically they wanted to be a delegate for Candidate A. They would sign the form pledging to be a delegate for Candidate A, pay that filing fee, and then they would run at both a congressional uh, district meeting as well as a state committee meeting uh, with the other folks that filed to run as a delegate for candidate A. And then uh, the delegates to those meetings will vote 
uh, for those candidates. And of course, the, the folks who receive the most number of votes for as many spots as we have, those are the folks that will go on to the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee next summer. There's a lot more steps to that process, but that's probably as simple as I could, could get it down to. Democratic state parties aren't allowed to charge fees to people who run to be a delegate or are delegate. Here in Arkansas, that is going to be set by our state committee. That body will meet this summer in late August. Traditionally, it's been $250 for folks who want to be delegates to the national convention. We suspect we'll probably have a modest increase somewhere in the range of 300 that our state committee would approve this summer. And again, that's something that states have flexibility in. So some states, like Arkansas, will have a delegate fee on the front end for folks that are interested. Some states will have a delegate fee on the back end. Once you've been elected a delegate, then they might have a delegate fee of 500 You know, I've heard things all the way up to 2000 uh, hypothetically. And the reason I think that there's a fee associated with the office that you're seeking, the office being a delegate position, is one, you want to get folks that are interested. You don't want to go through this whole process and elect somebody to the national convention, and then they decide not to show up last minute. Um you know, in, in Milwaukee, for example, the delegates are going to be responsible for their travel, airfare or by vehicle to Milwaukee, as well as their hotel rooms for the week for the convention. Obviously, their admittance into the convention hall is covered for being a delegate or alternate, but they're going to be the ones responsible for paying their way again, for lodging and for travel. And so we want to make sure that we've got committed people that are that are committed to going to that convention so that they don't get elected and then decide to withdraw. And then somebody who wanted to go uh, wasn't elected a delegate. And, and now that spot is unfilled. If you're not well known in your state party, the easiest way to become a delegate is from your congressional district. Correct. So let's say, for example, that you wanted to file to be a delegate for candidate A and you lived in the first congressional district. You'll go to the special first congressional district meeting and you will only be appearing on a ballot that day against candidates in the first congressional district for candidate A. And so if you're elected as a delegate at that meeting, congrats, you're going to the convention, all is good, you're set, nothing else required. Even if you're elected an alternate at that meeting, you can still choose to run later on at the state meeting itself in the hopes that you could get promoted, if you would, to a delegate position as opposed to an alternate position. So let's say that you were elected as an alternate for candidate A at the first district meeting, but you really want to be a delegate. So you go and run at the state meeting a couple weeks later. So let's say, you know, gosh, the left just isn't on your side. You don't get elected a delegate. You're still an alternate to the national convention at that time. You're still one of our 37 alternates that will have a slot at Milwaukee. You'll get the convention pass, all of that, all of that good stuff. So you almost kind of get two shots at running for a delegate first for one of the three delegate and alternate positions at the district level. And then again, at the state committee meeting, some people spend a lot of money to become a delegate. For example, they buy ads in political newspapers that are read by very few, if any people who be voting for delegates in their congressional district elections. You have to do something to stand out. Joe Beaver said, leave it to Beaver. And I passed out stickers that said, stick with Nick. Remember the movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? A movie about electric cars that were tested in California for six years. And then were crushed. A man running for delegate at the convention I went to owned one. 
escaped. It only had a range of 35 miles on a charge. He ran on a platform that if I become a delegate, I'll let decision makers test drive my car. He won. He was elected. Another man was elected to a later convention as a delegate from CD3 because they inadvertently left his name off the ballot. In the process of making sure that people remembered his name, the people organizing the election probably said his name 50 times. They said it so many times, people remembered his name and voted for him, and he won. Very important, when you sign up to run as a delegate, make sure the name people know you by is on the ballot, even if it isn't your legal name. A friend of mine who's well-known and well-liked in the Democratic Party ran by her legal name, Claudia Russell. People knew her as Dawn Russell and didn't realize it was her and didn't vote for her. In this case, it ended up with a happy ending. She sat next to Michelle Obama as her guest. As I said, she's popular in the Democratic Party. Every state will have its own rules for running as a delegate, and political parties will have additional rules. Contact your county political party's chairperson to make sure you're doing things correctly. They're usually very approachable, so don't feel like you're bothering them. They're their county's chair because they like doing this stuff, and your state political party will probably have workshops on how to become a delegate. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. An allergy to alcohol is common in some Asian populations. It's very different from getting drunk. People get very sick from drinking just small amounts of alcohol. Ryo Hayawasawa lives in Japan where the allergy is common. It is common among the many Japanese people who might have the blood from Southeast Asian countries. But there are plenty who are not really uh, handling alcohol well. Okay. On their body, I am one of them. Yes, I have the itchy skin and it, my uh, face and the, the skin turns red. And even though like, I can hold it for a while, I found myself unconscious. So I'm not really alcohol resistant. That can be a problem for people who are blind and allergic to alcohol or for some other reason choose not to drink. The ones with alcohol, there is a two-cell braille on the top of the lid that is saying that it's alcohol. The writing on the can lids is in Japanese braille, but it doesn't matter if you can't read Japanese braille or braille at all. If there are braille dots or raised bumps on the lids of the cans, they're alcoholic. Terry Thompson suggested this story, and Daniel Kish helped with the story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Okay, let's step on the scale. Uh, right here, 
Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd like your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler transcripts in any search engine. This program's also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the Tactile Traveler podcast. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make this program possible. Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Microsoft Be My Eyes Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Pat Conroe, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Kaylee Romero, and Wally Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.